Um, when I was a, a child and I came to Canada, I, I didn't have Canadian clothes, I didn't have a Canadian accent, and on St. David's Day, my, my mother insisted that I wore a leek on my, on my jacket, uh, which, of course, is a sign that says, come, please beat me up. Um, the only good news is I could run quickly, but that was, that was about it. So I, I'd love to begin our time today with a question. The, the question is this, what does it mean to be human? Now, that's not an easy question, of course. It happens to be, however, one of the most important questions we will ever face. Because the answer you settle on is going to either help or frustrate the progress that you want to make in your life. It's also a question that highlights the challenge of living at the beginning of the 21st century. You see, many around you, when faced with this question, will simply answer, to be human is to be an individual, not a member of society, not a member of a community, but an individual, and thus free. Free to belong first and foremost to yourself, to belong only to yourself, and to enjoy being free from the expectations and pressures of others. So, if you're an individual and you belong to yourself, then by definition, only you can set the limits on what you can or cannot be. No one else has the right to define you, to choose your path in life. But what if this seemingly attractive answer comes with a price? You see, if you belong to yourself and are free from all external forces or pressures, then you alone bear the weight of having to make your life work out. With no one to guide, comfort, nurture, or even forgive you, you become solely responsible to create and sustain your own identity. So I wonder, do you find this picture satisfying, attractive? Perhaps you sense the attraction of this answer, but do you like its consequence or its outcomes? Perhaps there's a different path we could take. One that begins with asking the question, would my life be different if? And you see, this question could take the following form. Would my life be different if there truly was a reality or person that had my best interests at heart and always had your best interests at heart? Now, what if God was truly present, guiding and nurturing your life and working to help you discover meaning and purpose in Him? You see, for the Christian, the answer to the question, what does it mean to be human, lies outside of ourselves, and it happens to rest in God. And here's the good news. When you come to realize this fact, we quickly realize that, one, we're not alone. Two, 
Our identity is a gift rather than an individual project. And three, that we are children of a faithful and personal God, a God who truly loves us. And out of his deep and abiding love for us, he has acted in Christ to rescue us from our self-destruction. And he's done so in order to draw us into a relationship of joy, hope, peace, and love. So, if that sounds awesome, great. If it sounds too good to be true, I also get it. And in order for us to kind of gain some purchase on why this is in fact the gospel, let us turn to Psalm 119. We're going to read this responsively. I'll read the non-bold part, and you'll read the bold print. So Psalm 119, 1 to 16. Let me begin. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. How can young people keep their way pure? by guarding it according to your word. I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. With my lips I declare all the ordinances of your mouth. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what does this psalm teach us about being wholehearted? The psalm opens with these words, happy are those. Happy or blessed are those who walk in the Lord, keep his decrees, do no wrong, walk in his ways, learn God's righteous commands, observe God's statutes or laws, who declare or speak the commandment of God, and whose delight and respect for God's law is greater than delight or desire for riches. And people are happy or blessed when they meditate on God's precepts, fix their eyes on God's will, and faithfully remember God's word. Now, to hear that you can have a positive relationship with God's law might sound a bit odd to you. But let's see if we can clear up the confusion. How many of you, for instance, have heard someone say, I like the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Old? As if the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible was for the Jews, and the New Testament is for Christians. 
A show of hands. Have you heard this? I've heard it too. You can go to a prayer breakfast, and oftentimes at a prayer breakfast, there'll be two politicians. One will get an Old Testament reading, one the new, and then there'll be some joke, but thank goodness I don't have the old. And, and, and so you see the point. Um, many of us have a hard time with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and we have a hard time with the law. And yet, what's going on? The rejection of the Old Testament and a God who commands is a deep and profound loss. So what did you think when you heard these words, happy are those who delight in and seek to keep God's law? Did you wonder how could this be true? If God's commands were something that we should run from, how then could they be a source of happiness or joy or delight? God's law exists to nourish us, to build us up, to feed us. And in the end, it's something to help us become more human. You see, properly understood, God's law is God's very presence to us. In and through the law, God makes known his character and his desire for each of you to be in a personal individual relationship with a God who loves you. What's more is that in and through the law, God grants us a clear picture of what a life of blessing looks like. So what, what do I mean? Well, think about the Ten Commandments. Why does God command us not to worship other gods or to remember the Sabbath or to avoid adultery and steal or something that maybe only an agrarian community knows, covet your neighbor's donkey. Why does God command us not to do these things? Well, to do any of these things is to reject God by failing to trust that he will provide you with everything you need. In other words, we don't need to worship other gods because by God's grace and providence, we have already come to know the one true God. We don't need to steal or covet what others have because we're God's children. He loves us, and he will provide for all of our needs. We don't need to strive for value, worth, or security in ourselves because all of this is already granted in relationship with God. And so when God speaks his word, we immediately realize that we have not been abandoned, that we're not alone. And when we spend time with God through his word, we realize it's God who gives shape, order, and purpose to our very lives. And so the key thing to remember, the one thing I want you to sort of keep in your mind as you go into the day, is this. While the world around us tells us that human flourishing is found in the exercise of our will or desire, God reveals that true joy, happiness, purpose, and even identity is recovered in hearing, listening, in God's word, we hear that human flourishing has everything to do with being loved by the God who desires 
to make you whole. And before I close, let's just spend just a few more minutes reflecting on one more important truth from these 16 verses. Our relationship with God and God's law includes our emotions and our emotional life. Our relationship with God is a life in which God loves all of us and redeems all of us, including your heart, your feelings, your psychology. We've already heard me use the word joy, so let's see where this fits in to these 16 verses. Let's look at the passage one more time, and you see that I've highlighted all of the words that have to do with our affection or emotional life. So, you can see. Happy, happy, whole heart. I shall not be put to shame. Upright heart, whole heart. Treasure your word in my heart. I delight in the way of your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see, the journey towards wholeness towards joy and peace and purpose is a journey that involves the deepest parts of who you are. And remember this. God is deeply interested in drawing you out beyond yourself into a living fellowship with himself and with everyone around you. This happens, by the way, when you spend time listening to and studying God's Word. Psalm 19 assures us that if we walk in the law of the Lord, keep His decrees, seek and treasure God's Word, not only will we become wholehearted, but we will also be delivered from shame. How wonderful is this? How many of us yearn to be delivered from feelings of shame and humiliation? How many of us want to be truly and deeply loved and loved unconditionally? Now, this is exactly what God does for you. You don't need to be worried or afraid of God and God's presence. Instead, you can be wholeheartedly devoted to God Because in Christ, we find restoration, love, true freedom, and identity. So how does this happen? How do we become wholehearted? This transformation begins when we draw near to God and seek to listen to His words. And when we do this, God draws near to us. He begins to set our hearts and our affections, our mind and our desires upon God. And in this process, on this journey, we will discover what it means to be truly human. My hope and prayer for you is this, that you will risk trusting in God's Word and that you will discover freedom from shame, brokenness, alienation, and fear, and that God will be powerfully and graciously present to you 
And that God, this loving and living Lord who heals our divided heart, will set us on the right path towards wholeness and faith. It's, it's been a privilege to be with you. I thank you for your willingness and desire to be present with each other, to worship Christ, and to join in worship. So let me close our time together with a prayer. Let's pray. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our dear Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, may this Lord equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. May he deliver us from the wayward struggle to be self-made, and may we find joy, peace, and purpose in Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.